1: Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Transforming 45. This week, I am really happy to have Lauren Fritch with us. She is a connection that I just made a few weeks ago, but... In our first conversation, we talked about essentially everything on the planet, so I have been really looking forward to this conversation. and Lauren is the creator of the Join Money Matrix, uh, which is definitely something that I need to that I need to talk about, and I would imagine lots of the people who are listening are going to be interested in that as well. so welcome to the show today, Lauren.:
0: Thank you, Lisa. I'm so happy to be here.. Excellent.
1: All right. Tell me your story. How did you get to where you are at this particular point in your life?
0: So I'll start by by going backwards, I guess. I, at this particular point in my life, um, I live in Buenos Aires with my husband and my daughter and two adopted pets who we picked up along the way uh, <laughs> since the pandemic. Normally, we are a family that lives in New York City, but we changed a lot of our lives, lifestyle, um, like a lot of people did in the past three or four years. And we we ended up here in Buenos Aires via the Dominican Republic, where we have real estate um, and investments and occasionally a Joy money matrix retreat at our our villa there. Um And prior to that, I have basically been self-employed as a consultant and a coach for the past 18 years, which is crazy for me to think about. I'm very bad at being um, an employee, and I'm really lucky that my entire career has largely been as as my own boss. And the process of, of getting from there to here, um I started out in at my first self-employed thing cuz I did I was a director of a nonprofit as my first job out of college but I always had this dream of living abroad I was really interested in other cultures and I loved fashion I had been making clothes since I was 5 years old and I know it sounds crazy but my I had um, a family member mm-hmm. teach me how to sew by hand And so I started doing that and then I started making clothes for myself and then I started making clothes for other people and I started selling them. And I thought, you know, life is too short to, to not try to figure out your dreams. So in order to support myself while I was putting together my portfolio to go to fashion school, I got certified in yoga and Pilates. Well, didn't really get certified in yoga, but that is a very different story. And I started teaching yoga and Pilates. <laughs> and um, so I started teaching. This was in the early 2000s. And, um, and I was putting together my fashion portfolio. And I went to fashion school in New York City um, and then quickly realized that I was like, oh my gosh, this is not what I want to do with my life. I do not want to design woven shirts for Gap. Because when you get into the actual business of it, design, unless you're you're very successful, you are focused on one narrow thing. And I thought, okay, to heck with it. I got to get out of this country. I'm going to Italy, and I became the um, teacher and nanny and then cleaner somehow <laughs> for <laughs> a family. And they were very well connected within the fashion world. Um, their besties had the last name Ferragamo. And, um, yeah, and so I, I knew that I had no real business experience except, and I know a lot of people who, who are attracted to personal development and coaching. There are some things that, that we all just have gifts in, and for whatever reason, I had a gift in business and I, I can reverse engineer and think, how did I get there? But I, I started to have it explain people I explain to people that there are just certain things that are downloaded in my brain. I don't know how they got there. I just know. And so I bought um, samples of, of clothing from designers that I thought were interesting um, and handbags and other things in Italy, because at the time Italy was the, I mean, it still is the luxury fashion capital of the world, but at the time it was, that's where manufacturing was happening and i bought the samples at my risk and flew back to the us i bought a car i don't even know how this is like the days of free and easy credit right <laughs> like i didn't have a job and they were like sure have a car loan um and i packed up samples and i literally cold called every boutique on the east coast and i got my foot in the door to show them completely unknown brands and then i got them to write orders so in that period of time, I got a crash course in sales. And I also realized that the fashion industry was really backwards when it came to the emerging technology, aka the internet, and that fashion companies were really dysfunctional. And so very quickly, I became not the salesperson because sales is easy in fashion. Like you can sell things. And I got to go to really interest. I, I had a lot of interesting experiences with great brands, but, um, I knew that that was not my future, the sales world of fashion. I could tell some crazy stories about that, but it is, it, you can make a lot of money and you don't have to be very smart. Let's just leave it at that. Okay. And make that of that, what you will. And <laughs> I, knew that I don't want to spend my life in that environment even though it could be very lucrative. And so as a consultant, I got to work with lots of different brands. I wasn't, um, you know, my, my eggs weren't all in one basket. I got to have really interesting projects. Sometimes I was helping them with merchandising or design or organizational development. And fashion is a really like starry kind of industry, but it's also very, as I said, dysfunctional. And so I started to work and branch out with other brands. And in 2006, I Got my I started my coach certification. And um I had hired a coach to help me in my personal life and, and professional life. And she said, you know what? I think you'd make a really good coach. So I added that to my toolkit. And um since then I've done, you know, we're all the, probably the same. We we're constant learners, right? We're absorbing all the time. And so I've I've certainly continued to add to the toolkit. And of course too, we have the lived experience of navigating our own lives and our relationships and our businesses. And that's, you know, their growth opportunities all around. (laughs) But, um, and I don't know, I guess, so I've, I've always been a coach. That's what I've been doing. And the funny thing is, is that I started coaching athletes and performance many years prior when I was 14 and I've coached, um, either in sports or in life, I've coached Olympians and I've coached politicians and I've coached billionaires and I've coached CEOs and I've coached a really large variety of people. And I feel really blessed to have had that experience. Um, and it certainly has informed the work that I do. And, um, and over time, you know, I've been steeped in this whole online marketing, marketing world. And, and as you get older, and I think the clarity of the pandemic too, it makes you say, what do you really want to be doing? Like, why are we here? And it took me just, if anybody out there is trying to start a business or you have been doing work and you're like, I need my personal brand. And even if you're an employee, people are telling you to do this thing. I will tell you that it took me 17 and a half years to understand what the through line was in my work. So if anyone's feeling frustrated, there's very little chance it's going to take you as long as it did me. Um, so stay encouraged. And, um, you know, and I've done like all kinds of countless things to to try to discover that stuff. And I, I finally realized that what I really care about in my work and whether it's a program or a workshop or a one on one client relationship, I care about growth, that's a huge value, but what I really wanna know and what I really wanna help people do is answer the question of like, how do you really want to live? What do you really wanna spend your time doing? And it's such a simple question. I think it's a lot harder than people realize to answer Um, because we're so conditioned by what we should do or by what we think we should do or what we think we should want to do and what we have to do. Um, and so unwinding all of the layers of, of stuff that distort the, the essence of, of what, how do we really want to live? How do we want to spend each moment of this life? Um, that has only recently, very, very recently become clear to me is, is the, the crux, the thrust of, of my work. And, um, And it's really nice to have that as the through line. And and as I've gone through, I've created a lot of interesting, um, you know, intellectual property and programming that I license out or that I I run for my own clients. And that is really gratifying. And I'm still trying to answer that question. We we right now in Buenos Aires are in a, a time of odd transition. Um, and, and so we're like, we're very much engaged with that and it's, it's still hard 20 years in, it's still hard to live true to what it is that I actually want to be doing with my life. I still struggle with, um, with all the things that come in to distract me, you know, innocently from, from the core of, of what I deem is important. And, um, so that is, I think the, you know, that's how I got here. Um, and what a what waste? a ride.
1: What a ride to get to where you are now, right? I can uh you have engaged in so many different areas and have there's you know, I I could pull out probably a 1000 different stories from each element or each section or chapter of your life. And so when you when you say it took me 17 and a half years to really understand the through line of my business, I can see that. But at the same time, it's so it's it's evident in a way where you were constantly making the choice of how you wanted to live your life.
0: Yeah, I was I didn't always understand that that's what I was doing. Um, but hmm. I was And I'll give you I'll give you one very clear um, example of that. So I went to a university that Um, If you had certain grades and certain achievements at that university, you were expected to go interview with um, with, you know, BlackRock and Bain Consulting and, um, you know, investment banks. And that was very that's what you did. And instead, I ignored all of those recruiters and and they pursued you. Right. Because they could get a list. And, um, which was crazy to me because I also grew up without a lot of, you know, monetary resources. So I was like, no, I don't want to make a lot of money. I'm going to go get this really low paying nonprofit job. (laughs) But, but it came with a great, um, a lot of great perks and it came with a mega title. And, um, I didn't have to really report to anybody. It was very low key. And I didn't know it. At the time, because people were going, what is wrong with you? And I couldn't articulate it. But as I got a bit older, I realized like something in me knew that the 60 hour to 80 hour a week investment banking job was not for me. Something in me knew. Mm -hmm. I could not have said this at that time, that flying out every Monday morning and flying back every Thursday night in the consulting gigs was not gonna cut it. And so some part of me had a protective, you know, made a little protective choice to say, no, I'm going to go this way, even though this is the dominant play. And, um, and we don't always know the reasons in the moment, but I think, um, but I, I do think I've been, I've been slowly doing that very slowly doing that my whole life, like inching closer. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, it's interesting, right? Like when you, so go, going back to the beginning of your story, when you said it probably sounds crazy that I was making clothes when I was five years old. It doesn't to me because the reason that I had Barbies was that I designed clothes on them. Cool. And that, yeah, that is the whole reason. And my mom sewed. So she showed me a few things, but mostly I just had this bag of scrap fabric where I would go through and I would do color combinations and pattern matching. And I would, you know, little stitches, but mostly I was just tying fabric around Barbies Mm -hmm. in ways that seemed interesting to me to create outfits and things. And yet, because we are not really given the space to lean into what really lights us up and what is creative. When I said I wanted to be a designer, there was nobody in my life who said, oh yeah, that's a great decide. That's a great choice. You do that. Go for it. It was always like, yes, Lisa, you're really creative, but wouldn't you rather do this? Mm. And, or wouldn't, like, wouldn't this be, you know, more in line for you in terms of having a family And I actually grew up never wanting to be a teacher. And I would actually actively tell people that because my dad was a teacher and I saw the way that and ended up as a principal. I saw the way that it took over his world and his life. And I did not want that for myself. And it's exactly what I ended up choosing. And when you said, I realized I was a bad employee, there was also something that went off in my mind. And I'm interested So you were referring to it a little bit as there was something in you, but what was it? What do you think made you a bad employee?
0: You know, and I say this, I have, I have very little employment history um, because of the nature of my, my career trajectory. Um, So I'll say this from having been on, like lifted up underneath the hood of a lot of businesses that you guys have heard of. Okay. (laughs) Um, I've been in the trenches and I've talked to the CEOs and I've talked to the people who are employees I'm a bad employee because of several things. One is I believe in efficiency and I am really fast. And the whole concept of employment of you have this set period of time that you offer to the, the employer just doesn't make sense to me because I can get something done in like 30 minutes. I actually did this in my first job. I'd be done with my work. and I would like, <laughs> I was the director of the Virginia club, which is in the Yale club clubhouse, which is a hotel and social club and whatnot. And I would like go hang out with the various other people and be like, Hey, what do you need help with? <laughs> because there was nothing for me to do. I was like done. And it was so bizarre that I had to stay in this building arbitrarily because because, and so um, there's that piece, right? That's number one. The second one is, um, I, and I think a lot of fire signs, whether you like chill with astrology or not, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, okay. A lot of fire signs really hate emotional dishonesty and the entire corporate culture of the Western world functions on emotional dishonesty. Um, so for me, it would be like a constantly enervating and triggering experience. I think to be in corporate America all the time, it's different when I'm a consultant, Mm -hmm. because I can come in, I'm untouchable, you know? And if I do something wrong and they don't like it, don't pay me. I'm out. Like I'm not beholden to you. I can say the hard things. And that was one of the reasons that I liked that role so much. And I, I, you know, I'll continue to do consulting, I think. And for many, many years. Um, but the emotional dishonesty piece is really tough for me. Um, finally, Uh the other piece is that I just, I really like being at home. (laughs) So (laughs) I just saw a mom's like reel on Instagram about, I, I homeschool, not maybe because I like to drink my coffee in the morning and not go do pickup and like parade around with the moms, but, but maybe that's, not, not it either. <laughs> so I was, I, I totally a- yeah. agree with that. I just like being at home. So mm-hmm. for all uh,
1: yeah. So I asked that question because I had a theory and you absolutely gave me the evidence for my theory, but what's interesting, what's really interesting to me from my personal perspective is what, what took me 20 years to understand is that I'm also a bad employee for the same reasons. And it being a bad employee doesn't mean that you're not good at your job. It actually means that you're remarkably good at your job. Yes. And you can, and because you are so good at it, all the things that actually get in the way of allowing you to be excellent and really good at your job are unbearably infuriating. Yeah. And That's right. that was that was my story as well, but I spent 20 years throwing myself against the wall trying to change a system that was never, ever going to change. No. Right. And the intersections, the more conversations I have, the more I realize just how intersected everything is, right? Like the education system is the foundation for the business world. So of course they operate on the same on the same premises,
0: mm-hmm. right? So
1: emotional dishonesty was also exactly what I was really struggling with almost more than anything at the end of my career, that we couldn't speak honestly about anything or give people space to talk about what was really happening. At the end of my career, there were, we were a system where every single person in it was operating from a trauma response and no one would allow space for that. And so what we're seeing unwind in the system now is exactly that. It is the oppression of anyone being able to express their trauma experiences.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's a beautiful assessment of, of what's, what has been your personal experience. And I suspect most people who've had jobs of any sort would recognize their workplaces in what you just said, Mm -hmm. which is really, really, really a shame.
1: Yes, it (laughs) is. Right. Because there is, because in that is great opportunity for healing and change Mm -hmm. and evolving. But because as humans, we're so wired to want everything to stay the same that that is what becomes the priority more than anything else.
0: Yeah. And I think there's another piece of that. The, I mean, you, you're already plugged into this, this viewpoint. So I don't think this is going to shock you, but I think too, um, because our corporations, organizations, we are in a distinctly Western patriarchal culture, right? And I know people will sometimes shut down the second they hear patriarchy. Sorry, please keep listening. Um, (laughs) what what does that really mean that means that there is a distinct hierarchy where hegemony and power are reinforced by the structure mm-hmm. and the behaviors and the mores of the people in power the people who have the power the people who have the influence and so when, you know, Lisa, you're saying, you know, everybody has a trauma r- response. There's no room for people to share their experience in a trauma response. Why is that? Because that is, is breaking down the hierarchical structure into something that is more equity, equitable, right? Because we're saying yes. I had this and I had this and the the patriarchal structure of corporate America or the Western world, um, and, and that goes for education systems too. Okay, um, and pretty
1: much and the healthcare system and, and that, every yeah. other
0: institutionalized system we have.
1: Absolutely,
0: yeah. The people in power, they don't they don't have a vision for a place where people can share equally. All they have is a vision for blame and punishment, retribution, yeah. right? that reinforces the existing power structure because they don't want to change it. So, like I said, this isn't a surprise, right? But when you think about it from that perspective, you go, Oh, well, no, no wonder the employee feedback box is such a joke, right? (laughs) 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 Or, or whatever is your, your organization's like attempt to mollify the, 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 the people who are actually doing the work and, um, and not, not receiving the benefit of that work, right? What we're talking about is is literally um, the the problem with every structure that we've had is since we dismantled um, indigenous matriarchal culture. Yes. Okay. Yes. Exactly.
1: <laughs> because it moved from collaboration. Right. Where collaboration was the center of how communities work together and everybody brought their gifts and one gift wasn't more important than the other. They were all equally necessary for a community to survive. And so collaboration was the key and was the was was the power to which um, is power, power to or power with power structures. Right. Rather than the power over, which is what was evolved to so that now everything is power over. And I was not at all interested in the power over structure, Mm. which is what made me a really bad employee because I was constantly looking to shift the power source from here to down here into collaboration.
0: Yeah. And when you're in that system, whether, you know, whether there's an out from it or not, when you're in that system and you can see it and you're still trying to like, maintain yourself within it. It's really painful and it's really depleting. Yes. Inevitably. Absolutely. So. Yeah. yeah.
1: Because you're abandoning, abandoning yourself constantly. Yeah. And one of the things I'm really interested in, in your opinion, because when you went back and said, you know, I know some people shut down when they hear the word patriarchy and I use patriarchy on this show all the time, but you're right people do shut down but i think one of the places that we haven't peeled back the layers on is that patriarchy has like it's screwed us all not just not just women but it has also put men in very in very difficult positions whether they realize it or not right and yeah. there are some I mean, everyone is different and will have different experiences but One of the lines that I love from the Barbie movie. I know it has its problems, but there are some great lines. (laughs) When and there's this line where Ken says, "You know, when I realized the patriarchy wasn't just about horses, I wasn't really interested anymore." And it's. (laughs) I remember that one. I, I died on that line because I wonder sometimes how many people, and you know, anyone from, and from the, from the gender spectrum, right? Like if we're actually looking at this from a, from a non-binary perspective, because all different elements of how we show up in this world, because I could say men, but I could also say women who are experienced internal internalized sexism show up in the same way where you find yourself caught in the power structure, which is eliminating your humanity and not allowing you to show up and do what you wanted to do in the first place.
0: Mm -hmm. That is happening. I mean, I think golly, I've got a lot of things that are flooding into my brain around this topic. Um, I'm going to speak to this from the perspective of someone. I have, I have three brothers and one of them. Mm. (sighs) Shit i so we have the same last name, just FYI, and he has like a powerful army of trolls, and he is a political consultant for the right wing, and typically alt-right white supremacists. and he believes that no women or feminized men should be in public positions, no teachers, no doctors certainly no politicians, that all of those women and feminized men belong in the home. So the reason I bring that up is because that mm-hmm. is the, the essence of the distortion that happens within the male psyche because of the patriarchy. And that is extreme, y'all. Yes. It is an extreme distortion. But it's real and it's driving a lot of behaviors that we see. And this goes beyond political affiliation. It goes beyond religious affiliation. There are men who have absorbed such traumatic perspectives about who they have to be. Yes. That their only option... In the identity that the identities that are on on offer in the buffet of of our Western world for them, the only identities available to them are uh, those identities steeped in rape culture. In I have to be better than you. I have to dominate you. Um, And, and I'm not, again, I'm not talking about just sexuality. I'm talking about like every little thing. Like, have you ever been in a line and had the man cut in front of you? That happens all the time in a country called the Dominican Republic. I have literally been standing in line and the men just does not matter. That is a country that as recently as 1996 did not make it illegal to kill a woman. it's real that, um, that we cut off our humanity. We, we dehumanize the other when we're, we're caught in this patriarchal system. So, um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. You just like crystallized a couple of things for me. So one of them being, you know, when we dehumanize someone else, we dehumanize ourselves because it's impossible to not do that. And so when we are coming from a dehumanized place of ourselves and coming from that place of deep fear, when We come when we're in that place of deep fear, and our and our brains and our nervous systems are lit up, and our prefrontal cortex is offline. You realize why, because people ask the question, "Well, why can't people change? Why can't people think differently?" Because it is so energy expensive to be Mm -hmm. living in this place of intense fear, because Mm -hmm. that's what that is. It it shows itself to the world as power. But behind that need for power and domination is just fear and a brain that is completely offline. So it's not even possible to make rational decisions Mm -hmm. or to consider learning or thinking from a different perspective. And I hadn't really put that together until you were um, talking about that perspective. So thank you.
0: Yeah. And I mean, the the conversation about that, that you just brought up of of how how do we invite people to consider the possibility that things could be different? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it's such a complex um, conversation and I I've done a lot of, of thinking around it and psychologically I have a whole theory Around how specifically the U.S. got to where we are and why we have these the polarity that exists, but that's mm-hmm. it's a really yeah. complex conversation, and this is not for today. But um, <laughs> we're going to have that conversation
1: at some point, though, because I'm fascinated um, to hear your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: If you want to hear it, um, I've been working on a like on an essay, and I will say okay. that fear has actually kept me from from continuing to work on it and continuing to pursue it because I'm still like. Um publicly easy to connect to my brother and his work. And I have some fear around that. That said, um, so perfect example. I Uh feel not safe in my body and that's preventing me from being able to move forward towards something that I desire, which is expressing these, these theories on a more, in a more public way. Um, so you can imagine when someone is feeling fear that some aspect of their livelihood or, um, you know, their, their worldview is being, is shifting that creates fear within the nervous system as, you know, as Lisa, you said beautifully, and there, there's no opportunity to, to then bring in nuance or, um, or, or consider alternate viewpoints. You know, my, um, therapist said something really interesting this week because I've, I've really been struggling with, um, and we discussed this right before the call, uh, mm-hmm. PMDD, uh, post, uh, I don't even know what it's called. PMS, PMDD, um, premenstrual <laughs> dysphoria disorder. And it's a really kind of intense form of, of PMS if you've not heard of it. And so I've had a lot of, and also just adrenal fatigue because, um, My daughter has had an autoimmune disease for about seven years and it's exhausting. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so we've been talking about how I can support myself to make small changes in my life that will help me feel better. And, um, she said something this week that was so great. She said, you know, just the impulse, just the impulse is enough. And I was like, what? Mm -hmm. And, you know, as coaches, right. We're always I I feel like we're looking for, uh, bigger sometimes Mm -hmm. action. Yeah. yeah, Action always let's move people into action. And, and of course we know with work in, in neuroscience and the, um, you know, HPA axis, um, that's, uh, hypothalamus pituitary axis, you know, um, so if, if, if we're working within there, we know the concept of titration, right? From chemistry, which is just like little drops can help us make small changes and, and progress. But in practice, um, the dominant culture doesn't like small steps. Um, and and coaching often teaches us to like get into action, get into action, get your clients into action. And so when my therapist offered up this idea that just the impulse is enough, and she says it so gently too. Like she's like very slow and soft and measured. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, just the impulse to want to do my cash flow projections is enough. And yeah. I told that to my husband, it's like, can you do them tomorrow? I was like, I might have the impulse to no. do them tomorrow, yes. <laughs> but um. So then taking it back to, um, yes, we, we are living in a time when we're, we sometimes feel trapped in systems that are overwhelming, that seem impervious to change. Right. And yet Uh we we still have to find our way within them. And, and certainly your work for women in perimenopause and, and menopause why are all of us so freaking tired? It's because we've been in these systems for so long that don't support us yes. and in fact requires to overexert all the time. And I think that, that, um, lovely Justine's perhaps the impulse is enough for now. Yes. Um, that is really, that
1: is a really powerful statement when you, when you let yourself sit with it, because when you, when you know how brains rewire themselves, It is through thought, right? Thoughts are actual things. They are chemical structures that happen. Mm -hmm. And so allowing yourself to sit with the impulse of it as as it is building a new neural pathway is such a gentle and self-affirming way to let yourself ease into change instead Mm -hmm. of slamming yourself into change which is or or ignoring ourselves entirely as we push ourselves beyond what's actually humanly possible in this ever
0: evolving need for ch- for change for change right it's um it's yeah. really subtle it's really gentle i use the word gentle a lot in my programming um and in fact i created something as a direct I don't want to say like taking a shot at, but there's something called 75 hard. And someone told me about it who I'm ve- I'm close to. I don't know what that is. Oh my gosh. It's like a whole book and a movement. Um, So basically it's like, I don't know if it's 75 days, it must be, but you have to do two workouts a day. One of them must be outside. They must be 45 minutes each. You must drink X amount of water. You must eat this. You must read this. You must meditate that. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> and so, whoa, is the- <laughs> yeah. And and look, I yeah. I was a, a, a college athlete, a division one NCAA ACC champion athlete. Okay. Like I remember doing two workouts a day. I remember doing three mm-hmm. workouts a day. I remember doing three hour workouts. Like there is a time and a place like to get your endurance on. But I was thinking about the people who are attracted to this and they're like moms and people with mental health stuff and people with jobs. And I was like, okay, cool. I can see why people are attracted to this like thing. And so as an antidote, I created something called Gentle 30, which was an invitation (laughs) to do 10 minutes of meditation, 10 minutes of movement and 10 minutes of gentle movement at that and ten minutes of creativity a day, and um, in the time that we've done it, with um, hundreds of women have done it, it's usually free. Um, you know, the question is, well, what if I don't do all three every day? And I'm like, cool. Did you think about it? Yeah. And if they thought about it, that's good. Um, and it's it's been really interesting. The, um, you know, because we all have you know dreams of of positive sweeping change. But coming back to the question of how do we actually want to live our lives, like, um yes, you know, what is the sustainable, what's the sustainable, as you said, what's the what brings more ease, right? And I I don't think it's the stuff that is um shocking to the system, you know, like just <sighs> it's the stuff that is is small um that over time can can build the neuronal connections that you're talking about. Yeah, starts absolutely. With the the
1: I've been, yeah, like I've been in the business of internal motivation since my my degree is in therapeutic recreation, which sounds a little airy fairy on the outside. So I've always had this like love hate relationship with my degree, but it's becoming more and more meaningful the older I get and the more I lean into this work because it's where I started learning about flow theory. And internal motivation versus external motivation and self efficacy over um you know self leadership and so your that method that you are talking about the gentle thirty is a sustainable way to create motivation that is internal mm-hmm. because when we go into things that are extreme, it's often in service of discipline which is an external motivator.
0: Yeah, it's an external structure. And the
1: only change that, absolutely. The only change that actually stays, it is what is, inter- it comes from the inside.
0: Right, it's an inside job. It's so yeah. it just occurred to me, like, we'll, we'll have to pick up this conversation too. I don't think we talked about this. So the book I'm working on is um, called Ritual and Reward. And it's about how, People I call rebel mystics can get more done, can stop procrastinating and also bring reverence to their daily, daily round. And I call it, um, I call it atomic habits for crystal people, like in shorthand, um, even that. though I've never read atomic habits and I won't, um, because I don't like, to, you know, muddy the waters basically. But I told mm-hmm. my, my, my tech bro my brother, who's a tech guy, I told him atomic habits for crystal people. Who's like, yes, that's so dope. And I was like, Hey, I you can well. but all that to say is like, I have a very unusual approach to intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. And um, it would be really interesting um, as I get closer to being done with the manuscript, like let's chat about it because, um, and, and maybe I can bring you into to some passages on in the book um, because it it's love that. Yeah, it, you know, we all have things that we need to do, and we all have things that we want to do, and I think most people and anyone with a trauma history uh, tends to not do those things, and yes. um, and that can be it, it, it's its own kind of trauma, and um, that delay or or that holding apart from ourselves something that we really actually desire. And so that's, I mean, that's the crux of that book. And I'm really excited about it. Um, it should come out next year. Uh, I had a really lovely publisher ask me for it. So that was exciting. And, um, and I'm sure I'm going to have to, you know, I don't know, do book talk or something to, to get more into it, but I'm really, it's something I feel really passionate about. So Obviously, you have a lot of background in it It will be fun to chat about.
1: Yeah, I do. And I'm also very passionate about it. And I think it is a conversation that is yet another one of the many conversations we've been having that is missing in the general population is understanding how what actually changes when you allow yourself to come back into your body to love yourself enough to live in your body so that you can listen internally and you can know. know, as As I was going through your website and your social media, the theme of you are enough. And I know that that is a line that gets thrown around a lot, but that is the heart of internal motivation is knowing that I am enough and that coming from what I know to be true for myself is the only place I can actually live from in a way that will be truly meaningful and sustainable.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, if we all Mm -hmm. can connect with the enoughness that is inherent, I I mean, I say this, it's kind of flippant, but it's not. If if we cultivated enoughness Mm -hmm. like across the board, I don't think we would have conflict. We wouldn't have, we would have world peace. I agree. And, um, and I say that I I used to be real flip about it. And, um, my husband is by training, he's a historian. He loves specifically world war two. And, um, and my granddad was in world war two. So I've, I've been reading books lately and, um, and I didn't know that much, you know, like I I had a great education, but we, we kind of like pooped out in AP us history around, around world war (laughs) two. the end of the school year. Right. And so I was like, Oh, I actually don't know all the detail. And, you know, we have lots of Hollywood movies to look to, but like, let's get into this. And so it's been really interesting. And also as someone, you know, I've, I've been the coach for some men who have really prominent roles in government or really prominent roles in business. And, um, and those have been the people who like, facilitate war. Right. And so it's been Mm -hmm. really interesting to have now my professional background of 20 years in as, as I'm reading these books now with a new perspective, not a high schooler. Right. And, um, yes, the, which again, goes back to patriarchy and systems, um, how, how these monsters emerged as a product of various systems that had to work together to allow these destructive changes to take place. And and we're seeing that now. So just for reference, Mm -hmm. what, October 19th, 2023. And so we've got the Palestine Israel conflict is raging um, in, in real Mm -hmm. life. And then also along social media communication lines. And, for a lot yes. of people, it's been really traumatizing. Like I'm kind of, it's it's a lot. It's a lot, especially yes. if people are empathic, and that's uh-huh. on top of like the cascade of things that have gone on since, let's say, 2016. Um, so yeah, so it's been so fascinating for me now, having the knowledge I have about psychology and about leaders and about trauma, about organizational development and change, to read these these books and realize that. You know what we're all fundamentally up against is how can we, um, how can we as a collective, and then and the macro and then micro, how can we be better humans? And I don't think that everybody's asking that question, but I think enough people are asking uh-huh. that question that it is it's starting to have um, a ripple effect that will be quite tangible. Um, and we still have a long way to go. And there are always, always going to be like these, I don't want to call it tests, you know, but I think there, we have so much more facility to, um, to show up in our enoughness and, um, and either dismantle or reform the systems that have been dominating and creating these The polarities and the conflicts that we've seen for millennia (laughs) it's been millennia yeah
1: absolutely and it is that because when you are when you know that you are enough you are you stand firmly in what you know to be true about yourself and who you actually are and not the roles that define you or the external things that you think give you value because Mm -hmm. in order to create any kind of reparation. We have to as humans be able to say I did shitty things. You did shitty things. We have all done really shitty things. And if you are someone who gets value from the external of someone else always telling you that you are that you are great, then the thought of saying, nope, I've done some real shitty things, completely unravels everything mm-hmm. that you know to be true about yourself. Yes. And that yeah, and that is where we are finding this tension, why leaders are unable to come to the table and say, we made really terrible mistakes. Mm-hmm. We have all made really terrible mistakes. So we and it we can say that we did and now we can make a different decision.
0: Yeah. I love that. I love what you just the the identity is so interwoven with the system that if yes. you start to undo the identity, the system cannot stay, right? And that is exactly. really, so going back to the fear conversation, that is really fear inducing for so many people. And that is whether you're talking about your local PTA yes. and the leadership there and whatever is going on, yes. or the swim yep. club, or it's fucking... Palestine and Israel conflict, right? Like, it's, yes, they're, they're literally just like abstractions of the same thing. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. and, 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 and my brother too, right. It's the same exact thing. So I, I love this. Ooh, what fun. I mean, like, this is a great conversation. Yeah. That's what I mean. is fun.
1: I mean, it's, <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, it's, and it <laughs> is, it, it's, it's powerful when you can have exchange of ideas with people right which is what i feel is missing is that we are willing to actually have exchange of ideas and at the same time like you said for anyone who is empathic and actually anyone on the planet because at our most quantum level we are all just foam on this planet and completely connected with each other right there is no separation from anyone or anything and so the pain and suffering and grief that anyone experiences on this planet, we do as well. It's impossible mm-hmm. to not get splashed by that. Yeah. And so it is that duality of holding both things of, we can absolutely have intellectual conversation where we exchange ideas about it. And we can also hold our emotion about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's, um, it's one of the reasons I have a really bizarre religious amalgamation of, of ideas, but it's one of the reasons I'm always mm-hmm. going back to mystics, right? Um, yes. because above all or, or below all, I don't know which way you would say it, um, is, is the fundamental knowing that everything is connected. And I think that the disconnect that people feel on so many levels for so many reasons, um, if we can continue to, 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 foster ways for people to feel that universal oneness, um, regardless of, of, of doctrine or ideology or identity. If we can foster more opportunities for people to experience the universal oneness, then, then we also get closer to experiencing what I call heaven on earth. Um, But if you want to get out beyond, Uh you know, terms that have a religious connotation, um i don't i don't like the the word enlightenment either but just like a, a you mm-hmm. know maybe bliss like there's something there's something there for us yes um yeah so we humans That's beautiful we humans <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and and yet and here we are and yet you have taken all of your experiences to create a reality that is empowering and and making space for people to be able to show up in ways that allow them to start this transformative
0: process. Yeah. I I think I am doing that. I'd like to be doing more of it, but I, we will be doing more of it in 2024. I'm like heavily focused right now on, um, on our little family and mm-hmm. making space yeah. for for the impulses of healing in our little family. So, but we're getting there. We're getting there.
1: Yeah. yeah. And that's really important. And thank you for being so honest and transparent about that because of the narrative that we're fed, that we can do all things at all times. And the truth is we can't,
0: Mm-mm. we
1: And there are times where our loving energy needs to flow into the humans that are around us. And that is, that is exactly what it needs to be in those times. So yeah,
0: that's been really hard for me. I'll be honest. Um, Mm -hmm. Especially, I mean, and, you know, again, I like to be honest. So we, um, in our family, and we're good for time. Are are we good for time? Yeah. Yeah. We're good for time. So just for also anybody who's in the the world of business and or has gone through fluctuations of cash flow our little family um, my husband lost his job in 2019 and mm-hmm. um 2019 was a year that was really tragic for us um not just because of his job loss but because of my daughter's illness and mm-hmm. um she has something called pandas and so if you ever come across a child acting psycho um see if 10 days of, you know, uh, amoxicillin changes them. And if it does, then they have something that you need to go to a, an expert for, cause it's scary. And if you can nip it in the bud really fast, you'll have way better outcomes. And if you mm-hmm. don't like us, you'll spend a very long time trying to deal with a chronic illness. Regardless, mm-hmm. um, we were in a lot of suffering. And so I didn't have the capacity, um, at that time to, to lift up my husband um, with my work. I was still, um, I, Joy Money Matrix was at its early stages, but I was really struggling still with postpartum depression and then having a sick daughter and, and still not having a diagnosis. And so in the four years since, it's been really hard not to feel like I focused on my work, quote unquote. And at the same time, I I discounted all of the amazing things that happened organically with my work over the course of four years. And I had someone pointed out to me um, just very recently. And she said, but look at all you've done while you've been actively suffering and not really actively working. And I was like, Whoa. And the other thing that I was able to do while I was taking time off from my work, we didn't have really good internet during the pandemic. We, We were in the Caribbean and I was livid. I was like, oh. um, but you can't host workshops for 200 people if the internet might go out at any time um, because then you have to just refund everybody. And that is not fun. So, um, so I was like, wow, the, the universe, the goddesses are like, <laughs> you don't get to do what you're used to doing to make money. Um, and so it was a really interesting time where I, I got to learn some other skills around real estate and investing and interior design and contracting um and I discovered I was really good at it but that my brain and my emotions really missed my work work um and so it was really interesting too because I hadn't really experienced having things that I put out into the world like fail or not not be profitable and so that was an experience now that when I go back full full throated into into join money matrix and promoting the book and um for ritual and reward things like that. I will have a different experience to offer the the people that are coming through. And I'm, I'm no longer like a a quote unquote business coach, but certainly when you have an offer that says joy and money, like money keeps us sustained, right? Yes. We're not yet in a post-currency world. Okay. Um, Even though my daughter is like, what is wrong with us? Why don't we just like get beyond money? I'm like, you're so right,
1: but we're not there yet.
0: And so, um, for anybody who you know, if you're having doubts about the work you do, or you're like, why can't I make money at this, or like, can I even do this? Am I good enough to do this? Know that um, the the ebbs and flows of our attention on work or money and family and health and and art, like our attention is always going to ebb and flow throughout these things, and um, and money's the same. Money ebbs and flows. It's cyclical. And, um, and that there's like, there's no meaning to that about who we are as people. Right. And so that was really the, such a long digression, but that was really helpful for me to experience at a time where we really needed it. And I, I couldn't make it happen because I didn't have the capacity and all the judgments I had about myself because I couldn't do that. And we're in that right now. Like I don't have the capacity to do the things that I would like to do. Um, so I'm just saying, okay, yeah. <laughs> I don't have that <laughs> right now yeah. and it's a lot, it's a lot easier. So, um, the, those cycles, I think they come for so many different reasons, but they're, they're obviously not always comfortable. In fact, most likely mm-hmm. they are not, um, unless you're like freaking Buddha. Um, but yes, <laughs> Yeah. I'm
1: not, no, I'm not, I'm not either. I do. I have, I have moments of calm around it. Um, but my humanness always shows itself. But I, again, you know, through this, this part of your story, it takes you back to enoughness and knowing that you are, it will, it will be okay. You are enough enough. And um, I can't get enough of you. Actually, you're on when you're doing your book tour. You need to come back, and we need to have another conversation because I think that we could talk forever. We could do it an for entire today.
0: Entire series, you know? Yes. Like, yes, we could. we could. Drop like a little micro series. There's a lot for us to cover because I did most of talking this time, and we need to. There's a lot.
1: There's a lot. Okay. We're going to talk about some things when we go off the air. Yay. <laughs> Thank you so Yay. much. Thank
0: this you. has been
1: um, a really valuable hour. Thank you so much, Lauren. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on this transformative journey. Your support means the world. If you resonated with our conversation and want to uplift the Transforming 45 community, here's what you can do. Connect with me about how you can reclaim your own magic. Check the show notes for all the ways you can find me. Subscribe and share. Hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you found value here, share it with friends, family, and anyone seeking inspiration. Leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your words can make a significant impact and help others find their way to these transformative stories. Join the conversation on social media platforms. Follow us on Instagram, at LBoat. You can also find me on Facebook and TikTok. And if you know someone whose story could inspire others, reach out and let me know. I love connecting with diverse voices that carry the power to transform lives. Remember, your support fuels my mission to share authentic stories of transformation. Thank you for being part of the Transforming 45 family. Until next time, keep shining your light and embracing your journey. and live in a life by your own design.
0: Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success.
1: This is Unapologetically Fab.
0: An Electric Cat production. See you there. Electric
1: Cat. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter.